Christmas Day. When was the last time you heard me preach live? Was it Christmas? Huh? Yeah. Okay. What? It's on. I turned it on. I turned it on. Pardon me? Oh, it's both on. They're both on. Okay. All right. I want to try to do three things tonight. I don't know if I'll get them all done, but uh, I want to briefly review some of the things we've looked at in John, up to John 14, 21, some of the things we've seen in John 14, chapter 14. I just want to review some of the high points. Then I want to look uh, in depth at, at verse 26, and then I want to look in depth at verse 27. I think I told you that John 14 is the 23rd Psalm of the New Testament. Okay? And I went through this exercise, and I want to challenge you to do this. I don't know if you've ever done it, to, to uh, paraphrase Scripture for yourself. Have any of you ever done this? Read the Scripture and try to, and try to write it in your own words. Have you ever, have you ever done this? It's a great exercise, and, and I, I paraphrase. Here's the Jim Albright 23rd Psalm paraphrase, okay? Um, Jesus Christ is my shepherd. I shall never want for any good thing. There are green pastures for my heart and quiet waters for my mind in Jesus Christ. He restores, He refreshes, He revives, He enlivens, He energizes my soul. He teaches me His pristine righteousness for His glory and for my joy. He imparts fearlessness. He imparts fearlessness to me. God is for me. Who can be against me? He always comforts and soothes and calms me. He is my loving Father. He provides exceeding abundantly for me. My cup is always overflowing. His beauty and love chase after me every moment of every day of my life. And I will be with my beautiful God and Savior forever and ever. Did you recognize the 23rd Psalm in there at all? Um, it's a good thing to do. I would challenge you to, to paraphrase uh, some of your favorite scripture for yourself. And in truth, John 14, in my view, exceeds the comfort that God offers in, uh, in, the, in the 23rd Psalm. I think these promises that Jesus makes to His men right before He goes to the cross are staggering. I think they're immense. And I think you and I need to, to believe them and we need to live them. And I think that's what the Lord is challenging us to do as we go through John 14. Why can the Christian obey Christ fearlessly? Is it because we're great Christians? Is it because our faith is so strong? Or is it because our God is great? And our God is so strong? That's what Jesus is saying in John 14. That's what He's saying in John 14. I am your God. I am your shepherd. I am all that you will ever need in time and in eternity. I want you to remember the context. This is the night before the cross. Jesus is less, less than 24 hours um, from being nailed to the tree. And in the face of this gut-wrenching trial that is before the disciples, in the face of this what will be hell on earth for them, Jesus comforts them. And Jesus gives them all of these wonderful promises. And He's giving these promises to you and I too. Remember how he started the chapter? Verse 1, what does he say? Read it to me. Somebody read it to me from your Bible. 
Yes. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, they're getting ready to go into immense trouble. Jesus says to His men, He's saying to you and I, let not your heart be troubled. So in the midst of, of catastrophic failure, now who's going to fail in a catastrophic way? Peter, right? We just saw that several weeks ago when he told Peter he was going to deny him three times. Peter says, no, I'll never deny you three times. Christ says, you will. So in the face of that, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. In the face of debilitating confusion, you remember when they came to get Jesus, when they came to arrest Him, and the disciples just what? They scattered, right? And, and in the midst of that confusion, Jesus is, go is going to say, let not your heart be troubled. And in the face of crushing disappointment, when they see their Messiah nailed to the cross, okay, Jesus, the words of Jesus is going gonna, gonna to be ringing in their ears, let not your heart be troubled. Let me ask you, have you ever failed? Have you ever been confused? Have you ever ex experienced extreme disappointment? Jesus is saying to you and I, let not, if you belong to Him, He says, if you're mine, if you love me, if you belong to me, let not your heart be troubled. I love John 14. I think I could stand here and preach this till I fell over. I won't do that. I know that would be bad for you. Uh, probably would be bad for me at my age. But I think I could stand here and preach John 14 till I simply fell over. I love it. It's beautiful. Let not your heart be troubled because I'm God, Jesus says. I am God. And I'll give you all that you need. And one thing I want us to, I want us to, to, take, a, to take note here from John 14. Jesus never explains it all to them. Did you notice? He's not going to explain everything to them so they can understand everything. He simply says, I'm God enough for you. And do you know there's just going to be many times in your Christian life that you're not going to understand what's going on? You know that, right? Most of you already know that. There are going to be times when you're in tremendous trial, you're not going to know what's going on, you're not going to know what God is doing. But God doesn't say come and understand. God says, trust me. And so I want to challenge you, are you trusting God in your trial? Whatever your trial may be, whatever your difficulty may be, are you trusting Jesus Christ? Are you trusting Him as your God and as your Savior? The first thing I want to do tonight, I just want to hit some high points in John 14, the first 21 verses that we've already covered. just want to hit a few high points. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. I am God. And I know you know most of you out here, I don't know some of you, most of you would say, yes, I believe Jesus is God. I learned that when I was six years old in Sunday school class. Or some of you would say, Jim, you say it every week in the Gospel of John, so I, I, I believe that Jesus must be God. It's a fact I believe in my head. But you know what? That's not the important thing. It's not important that you believe it in your head. It's important that you live it. Right? And so I'm going to give you a, a true life illustration uh, from, does anybody know what the word epiphany means? Epiphany. Okay, we got a couple that know it. It's kind of one of those weird words you don't use very often. But it's a perfect word for what happened to me about six or eight years ago. Epiphany means a sudden perception of the essential nature of a thing. Right? Suddenly, you get it. That's what epiphany means. Suddenly, I get that. Okay, God was calling. I was, I was finishing seminary and... 
and, and God was calling Caring Out to come to Italy. And, and oh yeah, the, the catch was the church couldn't pay us. Okay, so we were going to come for six months as volunteers. And I was grappling with this. My heart was a little troubled. How are we going to live? And I, I'll never forget. I just left work. I was walking down the sidewalk. I was going to my car. I was standing on the corner in Parkville, Missouri. And it dawned on me. If God is who He says He is, if God is the God He says He is, if God's the God I believe Him to be, if God's if He's the God that the Bible talks about, and I look at all of this power and all this, this, this miraculous power in this God, what am I worried about? And it was an epiphany. Suddenly I realized, no problem. Karen and I will go to Italy. God will show up, right? God will show up. See, friends, this is what you and I need to, to do. We need to get out of the, the theoretical realm. We all struggle with this. We're all flesh and we all struggle. But friends, we got to live like He's God. Don't just come to church and say, Amen, He's God. we got to live like it. And sometimes He's going to stretch you and He's going to challenge you. And that's what He did to, to Karen and I. Guess what? He did show up. And He provided all that we needed as we came for six months and did an interim pastorate here. And I, I, I realized how utterly silly and how nonsensical it is not to believe and obey God. If we just believe He's half the God we say He is, how nonsensical and how silly it is not to believe Him. Full out all the time. Right? Full out all the time. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. He's saying, I'm all that you need. The second thing I want to point out to you in verses 2 through 6 Jesus reminds His disciples that they're passing through. You know, we've talked about this. They're passing through. In the, in the face of great trial, Jesus is going to say, hey, you don't belong here. You're coming home. You're going to follow Me to heaven, right? You're going to follow Me to heaven. Let me ask you, when you're in a hard spot, when you're in a trial, are you thinking about heaven? Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You don't belong here your home is with God forever. Jesus means for us to think about heaven and He means for us to get strength and comfort and power from it. Are you doing that? You know, we talked about that in, at great length when we preached through Hebrews 11. Those men and women lived... What, how did they live? Like strangers and exiles. And God means for you to live like that. He means for His 11 disciples to live like that. And He means for you to live like that. Like you're a stranger upon the earth. Like you're an exile upon the earth. You're a son or a daughter of God. You're passing through. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You're mine. You're a child of the King. Right? You guys know this. You're a child of the King. And Jesus is just remind, reminding His men what, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart. For these momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I love the way the message paraphrases this. Some of you know the message. It's, it's simply a paraphrase of the Bible. The message says, So we're not going to give up. How can we? Even though on the outside, often things look like they're falling apart on us, but on the inside where God is making a new life in us, not a day goes by without His grace 
and His mercy. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration awaiting us. Do you hear it? Do you believe it? Do you live it? Jesus is saying to His men, He's saying to us, friends, your worldview is to be dominated by your heaven view. Your worldview is to be dominated by, by, by your heaven view and He means for you to live like a stranger and an exile upon the earth. The next thing I want to point out to you, verses 12 through 17, Jesus, Jesus promises to empower us. He promises to hear our prayers. And unbelievably, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, He says the Spirit of truth will what? Be in us. He will abide with you and will be in you. Verse 17. Friends, this is why we, we have license to be fearless in the world. We have license to obey God with gl glad, reckless joy. The Spirit of God is in us. Lastly, in review, I just want to look real quick at a couple of things we talked about two weeks ago. Remember what we talked about? Why do Christians obey God? What's the preeminent reason? Anybody remember? The preeminent reason for the Christian's obedience is not that we ought to and not that we should. It's because Jesus says, when you obey me, I will disclose myself to you. Remember a couple weeks ago I said, and do you want more of God? And some guy in the back said, yes, I do. Remember what I said? You don't have to go on a pilgrimage and you don't have to thrash yourself. You don't have to do some great work. You just simply need to obey God. Because God says, when you obey me, I will come to you. Jesus Christ says, when you obey me, I will disclose my glory to you. Do you want the glory of God in your life? He says, Obey me. Okay, you heard Patrick read the text. Uh, Judas, not Iscariot. This is Thaddeus, also known as Thaddeus. He raises this question. He asks, he asks Jesus for clarification. Verse 23, 24, 25. Basically, Jesus just restates what he said. He says, My Father will, if you, if you love me and keep my commandments, my Father will love you, and we will come to you, and we will make our abode with you. So Jesus just clarifies that. Now, the second thing I want to point out Verse 26. I want to park on verse 26 just for a minute. Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is promising a supernatural divine teacher. He's promising the Helper. He's promising the Holy Spirit. You remember what He said back over in verses 16 and 17? He says, The Spirit of truth will come and be your helper. I want to remind you, I know most of you know this, this is a brand new deal. This, this didn't happen in the Old Covenant. This is a new promise of the New Covenant that the Holy Spirit will come and live in the believer. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and it was, I think it was said it would be, He would be with the believer, okay? Or He would come upon the believer. But in the New Testament, He is in the believer. This is brand new stuff, Okay? This is one of those promises that's like, I would never believe this unless God was telling me this Himself. This is too awesome. That the third member of the Trinity would come and take up residence in us. And the Spirit of truth is our teacher. He's in the believer. Now what does the Bible say about the unbeliever and truth? 
Does anybody, anybody remember? Can you think of any verses? John 3 says that men reject the light of truth because, why? They love the darkness, right? Okay? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, the world through its wisdom did not come to know the truth of God. Uh, again, Paul says in 2 Timothy, men are always learning but never able to come to the truth of God. But it's not like that with believers. Okay? Men want to say, I'm looking for truth. Men are going, doing all these things out in the world saying, I'm looking for truth. But God says, no, you're not. If you're not coming after my son, you're not looking for truth at all. You're lying. You're running from truth. Because here's truth. Anybody ever been through Experiencing God? Uh, uh, Henry Black Blackaby's uh, great study is called Experiencing God. Uh, you remember what, what Henry Blackaby says? Truth is not a concept. Truth is what? A person. Truth is the Son of God. Okay? Truth is Jesus Christ. And he says it right here in verse 6 of this chapter. I am the way and I am what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I am the only truth. Now here's one thing. Here's a point I want to make to you. Look what Jesus says. He says, the Spirit will come, verse 26, He will teach you all things and He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now Jesus is talking to the eleven. He's talking to us uh, about the Holy Spirit being our helper and our teacher. But He's talking specifically to about the eleven, uh, uh, to the eleven in one sense. But it's for our benefit. Jesus is saying, My people will have My words. Because out of you eleven men, some of you will record My words. Okay? Jesus is saying He's giving this great promise to the eleven as they go and preach the Gospel, but He's also giving this great promise to us. Some of these eleven are going to sit down and write the words of Jesus Christ. Right? John, Peter, and then men, uh, Matthew. Right? And Jesus says, I'm going to supernaturally bring to your recollection everything I've said. Friends, this is a promise to you and I that we will have a reliable Bible. We will have a reliable uh, set of Scriptures. It's one thing Jesus is saying in this promise. And I love it. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You will always have My Word. My people will always have My Word. They will always have everything they need. This is the Word of God. I don't know if everyone in here believes that. Uh, but this is the Word of God. This is His gift to you. He preserved this uh, for you and, and for me. He supernaturally did that. And I know, I know that uh, you know, it never ceases to amaze me that, that, that some want to call themselves Christians and then kind of throw off on the Bible or discard large portions of the Bible or discredit the Bible or disparage the Bible. Friends, that's a, da that's a dangerous ground. If you, if you ever begin to doubt the, the validity, the inerrancy, and the sufficiency of Scripture, you're on shaky ground. And I want to warn you right now because some of you I will never preach to again. And I want to warn you, don't ever sit in a church that doesn't preach from the Word of God. And, and don't, ever, don't ever waste your time with a religious organization or a church that doesn't hold this to be the inerrant Word of God. Because what's going to happen in that church is 
error is going to multiply in that church and they're going to get off on men. They're going to get off of God and they're going to get off on men. And that church is going to be full of error. In fact, that church has ceased to be a church. If you leave this, you're really not a church anymore. You may be a nice social club or, or a good civic group, but you're no longer a church of the gospel of Jesus Christ if you leave this. And Christ is saying, He's saying, This is my promise. I will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Friends, when Christians doubt the Word of God, it's, it's an insult to God. I often think to myself, who, you know, people say, well, men made mistakes and men did this and men might have uh, manipulated and men might have done this. And I think to myself, well, why are you interested in being a Christian anyway if you doubt the Word of God? If God's too pathetic, right, to preserve His Word for you, why would you be interested in following Him anyway? Friends, our God is almighty. Our God is sovereign. He has delivered to you and to me exactly what He wanted to deliver to us. He delivered a perfect Word of God from Himself. Friends, if you ever, ever find yourself sitting in a church that's, that's doubting this or contradicting this or disparaging this, you need to run. Okay? Because you're not in a church anymore. Alright? You're in something else. Jesus says, I will give my people my word. They will have all that they need. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. And I, I think you've got to know this. If you Just go read the Minor Prophets. Read through the Minor Prophets and see that God has zero tolerance for men who ignore His word. God has zero tolerance for men who do that. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. I will give you my word. I love what 2 Timothy says. 2 Timothy 3.16-17. Paul writes these words, all Scripture is inspired by God. Do you need to hear any more? But he goes on, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1 about those who preach another gospel. Listen to what he says. If an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which I have preached to you, let him be what? Accursed anathema. And then he says, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received from us, let him be accursed. Friends, God takes it real serious. He takes His gospel serious. And he means for you to take it serious too. He means for each of us to take it serious. The last thing I want to do tonight is uh, I want to park on verse 27 just for a few minutes. Listen to what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Wow, you've got to love that. You've got to love that. Jesus says, I'm giving you my peace. I'm giving you the peace of God. Now, friends, you know this to be true. Some of you know this because you, were, you got into adulthood before you, was, before you were converted. I actually was converted at age 28, so I know about this. But um, an unbeliever can never really have any peace at all. Do you know this, this fact? 
There's never any peace for the unbeliever. Even if he has a moment of tranquility, a moment of favorable circumstance, what does the Bible say about this unbeliever? The wrath of God rests on him. If he thinks he has peace, if the unbeliever thinks he has peace, it is an illusion. He has no peace. But we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Why do we have peace with God? We've been reconciled to God by the work of Jesus Christ, right? So we have peace with God. Not only do we have peace with God, we have the peace of God. The unbeliever has no peace. Isaiah 48.22 says, There is no peace for the wicked. There is no peace. The world's peace is a sham peace. It doesn't exist. It's an illusion. And you know, we will never have peace on this world. You know this, right? The Bible tells us there will never be peace on this planet. Why will there not be peace on this planet? Men have a theological problem they will not address. Men are in rebellion against their Creator God. And there will never be... Men are at war with God. That's what the Bible says. Go read Romans chapter 1. It's no surprise that we're at war with one another. Right? Jesus says, until I return, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Friends, there's not going to be any peace in this world. This world is in rebellion against God. But the Christian has peace. We have, we have a peace from our past, right? What does is, what is God say He's going to do with my sin from 15 years ago? He's going to separate it as far from me as what? The east is from the west. So I have peace in my past. I have peace in the present. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. I know all that you need. I will provide all that you need. Be anxious for nothing. Isn't that what Christ says? And then I have peace for the future. I belong to God. I will go to be with Him. I do not face the wrath and judgment of God. I have the peace of God. I have the peace that only Jesus Christ can give. You know how Paul said it in Philippians 4? He says, I'm content in everything. And if you're a Christian tonight, I want to ask you, are you content in all things? This is the gift of Jesus. This is the promise of Jesus. I've got I to read that great uh, promise to you from Philippians 4, 6. This is how a Christian is to appropriate the peace of God. You remember what it says? Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Right? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I looked at various interpretations of that particular text and it talks about the peace of God. It surpasses all comprehension. It surpasses all understanding. It surpasses every type of human understanding. It transcends all understanding. It's beyond human understanding. These are all different various translations. It is so great that we cannot apprehend or understand it. This is the peace of God. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have walked through great tragedy and had the peace of God in your heart. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. How can you not love being a Christian? <laughs> I mean, really, come on. 
right? How can you not love being a Christian? Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. I'm your God. You have everything you need. Everything. Friends, we need to be fearless and bold on the planet. We have everything we need. You know, really? We have no excuse, right? He's given us everything. Even God is in us. The third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. We have no excuse for shrinking back and being afraid. God's given us everything we need, right? Praise the Lord. We're sons and daughters of the King and we can walk like it. We don't have to wring our hands. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to shrink back. We can be bold and fearless Christians. And that's what I want to challenge you to be tonight. Don't compromise anymore. Jesus says, do not be fearful. I'm God. I'm your God. You belong to me. I give you everything you need. Friends, are you living that? Are you living your Christianity that way? Okay, I'm, th I'm done. I want, I want to say one more thing to you. Uh, anybody familiar with the word shalom? It's, uh, yes, I know. Uh, Anne is familiar, right? Yes. Okay, that's a Jewish word for peace, right? Right? Yes, it's a, it's a greeting, Anna. Uh, yes. And, and, uh, but it, it has this connotation. It doesn't just mean peace like you'll have no conflict or, or the absence of trouble. It, it's deeper than that. It means may all good come to you. Okay? May all good come come to you. And when I was thinking about that, obviously my mind went to Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, those called according to His purpose. And Jesus is basically saying shalom. In John 14, He's saying this to us. Shalom. All good things will come to you. Even in the midst of disappointment, confusion, uh, trial, uh, uh, calamity, all good things will come to you. I will come to you. You are mine. Friends, that's, that's the challenge tonight. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, none of these promises are yours, uh, but they can be yours when you come to Christ. The door is always open. The door is always open with God. And if you don't understand about that, come talk to me. I'll be glad to talk with you about it. But for all of you here tonight that are Christians, friends, I, I want you to walk out of here and I want you to be thinking about claiming the power that God has given to you. And I don't want you to go out in the world and be afraid anymore. And I want you to be like me, uh, having a head knowledge of God but being afraid to believe Him, right? If you need to have an epiphany, have one. Have one right now. Have one right now, sitting in your chair. Have an epiphany. My, if my God is as great as He says, why should I be afraid? Why should I disobey Him any longer? Friends, I want you to walk out of here and I want you to go be fearless in the world. Okay? You go be fearless. And we get, we've been saying this all year long. What? You go make Jesus famous. You go make Jesus famous in the world. Okay? You let people see that He's your God. And then people say, how can you live like that? Jesus is my God. That's how. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. We love you. We thank you for this awesome word. Oh, God, you've given us everything. You've not left one thing undone. Father, you've given us more than we would ever presume to ask. You've given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. 
And He guides us into all truth. He gives us all power. Oh, Father, we have the assurance that You're, you're our God and that You're with us. Lord, help us to be bold and fearless Christians. Father, help us not to shrink back and be intimidated by the adversary and by the world. Father, we want to walk like sons and daughters of God. We want to walk like princes and princesses, Father. We belong to You. Oh God, give us that courage. Give us that faith. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing and sing, us stand and sing our closing, uh, uh, closing chorus, which is the chorus for uh, ancient words. You want to play it, babe, or we just want to sing it a cappella? Oh, you don't have the music? Okay. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words Amen. You guys have a great week. Thanks for coming. Got another sweat going, buddy. We'll turn this off.